We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I just want to take a minute and remind you to check out ConradChallenge.org and look at the kinds of things you can do to support students. The Conrad Challenge is really about facilitating 21st century skills of creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, communication. So go and check that out at conradchallenge.org. And if you missed my interview with Nancy Conrad, go check that out as well at transformativeprincipal.org slash Nancy Conrad. I'm Steve Maletto from Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited for this conversation with Joe Erpelding from Design 39 Campus in Poway, California. I was able to go visit this school a couple of weeks ago and learn about the amazing things that they're doing and walking in and seeing it is just amazing and incredible. You're definitely going to want to do that. So to give a little background, because Joe and I jump right into content in our interview, I'm going to share a little five minute summary of what we learned from going to that school so that you'll have a little bit more context about this interview. So If you've already watched that video on my YouTube channel, or if you have already listened to it when I released it a few weeks ago, um, it's really short, but it'll give you some good insight into what it is that Joe and I are going to be talking about. You're welcome to skip forward about five minutes until we get into it, but I hope you enjoy this. This was an amazing school, totally inspiring, and definitely the kind of thing that I am really passionate about. So I hope you enjoy this. And definitely check out their website at design39campus.com. And that's 39 
the numbers are numbers. So design39campus.com, check that out. And there's so much content on there and they do such a good job of collecting and sharing so many great things. And then make sure you check out the show notes for this uh, interview as well, because I put in a link to this awesome video uh, conversation between these first graders that, you know, if, if my first grade daughter could interact with her peers like this on a regular basis, I'd be so proud. So the skills that the kids are learning are so powerful and it's just inspiring. So anyway, hope you enjoy this interview. Gonna do a little five minute introduction here to the school and then I'm gonna jump into the conversation with Joe. So this one's kind of a long one, but buckle up, it's gonna be a good one. Here we go. All right, Design 39 Campus. We are really excited to come to this school because one, it's beautiful, and two, they use the design thinking process in creating all of their lesson plans. The teachers are called learning experience designers. That's what they're called. And they have a lot of really amazing spaces to be able to use. So let's start by talking about spaces. No matter where you go in the classroom or in the school, there is something beautiful to look at or something that is organized neatly and excited, excitedly. I don't know if that's a word. So they have what are called makeries, which are these spaces that kids can go in and use for different specific projects and all throughout the school everything is on wheels everything is designed to have two uses from the beginning so all of these spaces that we're looking at right now are really common spaces where people can go and classes can congregate or small groups can congregate no matter what is going on throughout the day teachers are not tied to their classrooms they are able to move around and do different things. This, for example, is the library, which is a beautiful space and has lots of different uh, configurations that it can be in. And kids can come in and uh, use that as they need to. So really exciting in the spaces. Like I said, everything has two uses for whatever piece of furniture they get. And that was part of the design process that they had. One of the big ideas that they have is that you reset the space after you use it so that by resetting the space you're able to put everything back where it was out of the way on the sides so that whenever you come in you can have the space look however it needs to look for that day one of the other things that was really neat was in the office and in other areas there were these little places where people could congregate and gather and meet that were ad hoc meeting spaces that were really cool and fun to be at. So all throughout the school, lots of different places where people can go and do the things that they need to do in that space. Like other spaces, the classrooms are also very flexible. Each of the teachers has a cart that they can wheel around that has their projector and everything else on it. All of the tables are whiteboard on top so that you can do dry erase marker on top of them. And what's really cool is that they have these big classrooms that are double classrooms that have a divider. And while we were there, pretty much all the dividers were open and there were two classes in there with two teachers. So lots of kids, lots of adult support. And as we were walking around observing, we saw most of the students engaged in the things that they needed to be engaged in. It was really cool to see all of that happening. 
when students were in these makery areas like this one here, they were able to do the things that they needed to do in that room and had the tools close by. The expectations were that anybody who goes in there just, you know, takes care of it. So in this classroom, you can see there's about 60 students in there and they had two teachers and it was, you know, everybody was doing their thing. Classrooms are built for the purpose that they need. And so they bring in the supplies that they need to do what it is that they're doing that day during that time. In each classroom, there were not a lot of posters uh, explaining expectations or things like that. What we saw were lots of posters explaining working agreements or showing student work or things like that. And so there weren't, you know, big lists of classroom rules or things like that. There were different pieces of student work that were shown up all around, and there were lots of opportunities for kids to show off what they were doing, which was pretty cool. Also, what we saw in the hallways were students just walking around doing what they needed to be doing. No student passes, no anything like that. It was very flexible and loose in that regard. As I mentioned, they used the design thinking process for their whole entire school, from the creation of it to the creation of different blocks throughout the year for the lessons that kids are learning, to their lesson plans, and all that kind of stuff. So they used the design thinking process for everything. They used it to create the school, to build the school, to buy the furniture, all of that. And it's definitely ingrained in their culture. And this is the adult design studio, not a faculty room, not a collaboration room, the adult design studio. And they have student design studios, which are their classrooms, basically. And the whole idea is to use the design thinking process for all kinds of learning throughout the school, inside and out. And it was really amazing to see that that is actually the case, and that is truly what they do. And the teachers are not called teachers, they're called learning experience designers. Good morning and welcome. I am so excited to have Joe Erpelding on the Transformative Principle podcast. Joe, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Transformative Principle. Yeah, super excited to join you today. Thank you for that. So you are the principal of Design 39 Campus in Poway, California, and I gave a little introduction to the school at the beginning. And one of the things that I love about your school is that you are a student-powered school. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means? Yeah, maybe more from the sense of uh, an experience that I had uh, the last couple of years as the principal here. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy doing as well is I got into this role as a teacher and so as a learner, more importantly. And one of the things I do is I teach a class pretty much in the beginning semester and the second semester. So the second semester class is a promotion designer class. So we learn the design thinking process. And then from there, um, the students in the eighth grade class are completely creating the entirety of their promotion experience writing up contracts, uh, communicating with vendors, talking about the seat organization, marketing, communicating. So it's just a fantastic experience where kids are really put at the center of decision-making, leadership. And if we want kids to be in those spaces, we can't wait until they're out of college. We got to do it now. Oh, I love that. What a great way to have kids involved in that very exciting and important thing. So you're a K-8 school, kids promote up to high school. So what does that entail getting the students to create that experience? And of all the eighth graders that you have, how many are actively involved in that? Or is there a leadership team? How do you divide that up? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think when you look at uh, our transitional kindergarten through eighth grade campus, um, just a little bit of orientation is we opened up as sixth grade and then seventh grade and eighth grade. So we just now have had our two uh, promoting classes in those last two years. And so when we look at kind of our evolution and the growing pains and warts and pimples, and we always love to talk about those, right? Because that's what uh, makes us um, human and around that human-centered design and ability to fail forward. And so when we look at putting students in the center of their learning, we really got to create those experience ships. And so when we look at leadership specifically, typically you might see a traditional school where students make their posters, they put their posters up on the wall. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, it's a, you know, who's the most popular kid and then that popular kid gets selected and they might do a great job there. And then all those other kids that were interested and passionate about um, leadership kind of get left to the side. So we kind of flip that model and we say, who's interested in leadership? And we create a design class around that. And so kids fourth grade through eighth grade participate in a leadership class. We call it um, Lead 39. So they just kind of step up and they promote their leadership experience. And we have all kinds of different experts come in, talk about leadership and marketing. And through that experience, um, students get the opportunity to kind of co-create a lot of different events. Uh, specifically, when we maybe circle back to that experience that I had the opportunity to participate with the promotion designers, is that's around 20 kids that participate out of 130. Interesting. So 20 kids out of out of 130, but they have these opportunities and experiences to design and be involved in leadership from fourth grade. And so they're not, this isn't their first rodeo, no. as it were, right? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's definitely not their first rodeo. And when we talk about these experience ships, we specifically call them deep dives and explorations. And those deep dives and explorations don't only energize the students, they also energize our teachers. We, we call our teachers learning experience designers. And uh, they too get to choose uh, those passion projects that they want to align themselves up to. And so like everything we do is really around how do we empower learning and how do we empower leadership? Um, kind of our tagline is um, that we want life-ready kids who are thought leaders um, and ultimately they're making an impact and we call that elevating humanity. So lots of different experience ships where students are, are discovering their passions and leveraging all those amazing skills that they learn throughout the day. You know, they still have to read, write, and do mathematics and they have to be able to apply it in, in a thoughtful and meaningful way. And, you know, we have these requirements and you guys are a, are a public school. And so you have many of the same requirements as everybody else. And, you know, we always talk about how we don't have enough time to teach all the content that we have to teach. And the design process takes longer by nature because you're not just, you know, saying, here's how you do, you know, the Pythagorean theorem. You're, doing an experience along with it. So how do you manage to get all the content covered or do you worry about that? And can you talk a little bit about that process? That wasn't a very good question, but I think it's good. No, I think <laughs> what I'm hearing is first, I have to often say it twice. We're a public public school. So we're not a public charter. We're, right. we're literally a public school. We're the 39th school in the district, right? Of 37,000 kids. So uh, we have lots of opportunities to kind of showcase what it means to be a public school within that structure. And so the design process, yeah, it does take time. And, and I think when you we share like the covering content versus experience content, I think maybe that's part of the shift. Um, when we look at the paradigm that we're operating within, 
um, that learner-centered paradigm. It, it does take some letting go, really, from the teacher and from administration and even from district to say, okay, if it's not about covering content, it's about finding deep, we call it now, we're getting into this word that we're calling enduring learning, like where it's deep and we think it's connected to creativity, knowledge, and identity. And identity would be like your sense of self, knowledge is that core content that you have to get access to. And then lastly, uh, we want to make sure that um, they have a, a way to experience that knowledge in new and novel ways, and that's through creativity. So the design process, you know, just another formula of the scientific method, technically, because we do believe we're a lab school. And as a lab school, while we might not put on lab coats, we do do a lot of investigation, researching and using that design process to take kids through from that first space. What we need to understand is empathy. And what is it that they want to know? What is it that they need to know? And then how do they connect that? And that's really where our design process starts. And it's fantastic to see the design process in so many different spaces, from the core content to our explorations, which is kind of an elective in an art class, um, in a science class. And to see that design process be embedded throughout, it's really fun to see. Um, and we, maybe some clarifying questions that we can dig in a little bit deeper around that. Yeah, I, I'd love to, to start with that idea of enduring learning through creativity, knowledge, and identity. And what you talk about there is, is being able to experience the content. Can you talk a little bit more about how those shifts are made at the district level, the school level, the teacher level to start moving in that direction so that you can, I don't know, I call it teacher guilt that you have this guilt that you have to like cover every chapter in the textbook when we know kids aren't going to learn all that anyway. So how do you, how do you start making that shift? Right. There's so many researchers research that shows that, you know, kids when they're cramming for tests and they're getting great grades and then you test them on the same content six weeks later and they get an F on it. Right. And what did they really, did they really have any enduring learning around that? Was it really felt by them? Did they really experience it in a way that was meaningful? And so most likely not. Right. You think about even like, you know, I have a senior in high school. He takes AP classes yet. And then we look at what he's doing. They're just racing through this content, covering chapter by chapter. And it's just kind of disheartening. And when you think about the rich history that we have and how engaging it could be and, and what we can learn from that. And so when you think about the shifts, it's truly it's a paradigm shift. It starts, you know, deep within the system, the structure that you operate within each each district, each school has its own ecosystem. And so in the ecosystem here at, at Poway Unified, we really worked tightly with our teacher union groups. You have to be, you can't be at odds with them. You have to say, okay, how are we going to have the shared interest of basically two goals? What does great teaching look like? And what does great learning look like? And that's kind of really where we started this whole idea. And then people can get around that and they can say, yeah, we want that for our kids. Teacher union groups want that. Parents want that. Uh, staff want that. Kids want that. And it really centers around learning. And so when you do that, then we can write a memorandum of understanding and we can kind of reshape uh, those typically constraining um, rules and regulations and free up some of those boundaries where we move the goalposts a little bit. And doing that in partnership with district leader, our district leaders, and then having the, having the grace of time to kind of evolve through that. As you know, typically what happens is you go down a pathway and then they blame it on the change and then they and they tip it back and it rebounds right back to where it was before. It's because you have to have sustained time and grace to make it through that, that really painful points 
to actually make it up to the other side of the mountain. And so when you get into that deep valley, it's uh, disheartening and people start to second guess and then they retract and they go back to, to status quo. And so I feel we finally made it through that valley and looking in, in the other side of the mountain and wondering how we might get there now. But yet I think we have that grace um, through the district, through our partnership with the teachers union and constant communication and iteration with our family and parent group because they too, it's disorienting. It's disorienting to see uh, a different way of doing school when typically, like you shared, page 50, page 51, page 52. And that's pretty easy to kind of watch and track. I got the packet of homework that's coming home, pretty easy to track. I got the graded paper, pretty easy to track. And then, so we have to do a much better job collectively as a system to say, what is the proof? The proof is starting starting to look different. So if the we need to be able to describe what's the difference the difference is making. And so that's why our proof points have to start to kind of evolve with us. And we're still struggling with that. And, and also learning some new things um, around what might it look like uh, to showcase learning. And so I would say just uh, to wrap that little bit up is that it's really a systemic process um, that you need collective support. Yeah. <laughs> to put it lightly, yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's a great way to sum that up. So Joe, at your school, teachers are called learning experience designers. And so obviously, you know, having a title change is a union or association issue that you've got to, to work through and having those MOUs in place is, is good. And then there's the idea of teachers being shifted from one school to another because of reductions in staff or reductions in force. How do you guys manage that? Because I imagine a typically trained teacher coming out of a, you know, traditional school would really have some struggles in adapting to the culture and climate at Design 39 and the expectations of how you guys do work. How do you manage that type of a situation? Yeah. So what, what I'm thinking of as you're chatting is we hire differently. So teachers aren't just placed here. So we have a pretty extensive hiring process and that might help be helpful for your listening community here on how we do that. And it is disorienting for anyone coming here. It was disorienting for me as a leader coming here uh, because as you're, you're pivoting around what you thought you knew and, and it's changing around you. And so that hiring process looks simply like this. It's about a four step process. First step is an e-tell. And then when we send that out to folks and said, send us your e-tell, and guess what the first thing they do? They Google it. Send right? a resume. And they Google, <laughs> they Google e-tell, and there's nothing out there that says, what the heck is an e-tell? Well, that's the whole point, right? The point is send us a digital something about yourself. And just putting yourself out there and showing, sharing who you are is like taking that healthy risk. That's kind of the first like swath of like, people who are interested and who are not because they're not willing to kind of at least showcase things that they're excited about. So the first part is an e-tell. Then once we kind of go through that, we have uh, folks that here on campus that put that through a uh, rubric and we score that. And then we invite all those folks back in for a design challenge. And 30 of them are sitting in one of our makery spaces, creative space, about four at a table, and then a student's at that table as well. And we're looking for interactions of, is it a I dialogue? Is it a we dialogue? How do they interact with the students? We'll then have students in this space. They have clipboards and they're listening in and they say, do I want this to be a teacher for myself? And so it's pretty robust that phase. And then the next phase is 
typical. Our, our, our candidates say it's not very typical, but we have some unique questions that we ask in an interview session and then a performance task. Can you actually teach what you're thinking around teaching and learning? So that four-step process, it's really kind of hi- hard to hide. It takes much longer, like you shared, when you do a design process. Yet it's pretty thorough and robust in terms of finding those right candidates. And then from that, we have basically a boot camp where we're uh, orienting folks up to kind of the culture. And then we're trying on a mentoring type program where you get hooked up with the current teacher. And then through that process, we still struggle and we still have growing pains, yet that's our best version currently. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what the onboarding process looks like and how you, I mean, the school's been around for three or four years, I think. And yeah, we're in our fifth year right now, so we just finished four. So in your fifth year, and there's been people who have been there since the beginning, and so they have this great depth of knowledge and experience. And um, Megan, the one that we walked with, she was actually part of the design team to design the school itself. So she's got this amazing depth of knowledge. How do you, as quickly as possible, fill in those gaps for someone who's coming on in the fifth year and yourself who came on um, after it started, how do you fill in those gaps as fast as possible? Yeah, it looks, it's looked a little bit different each year, but essentially has the same bits to it is we have historical documents of kind of what we were hoping to be before we even launched and where we're trying to go. And the way we did that this year, particularly is we had one of our original designers, uh, Tom, and he got up and basically had a really thoughtful slide deck around where we came from and how we came to be and where we're trying to go. And he used kind of the, the Star Wars trilogy kind of theme to it and it basically shared, uh, you know, that new beginning and that new frontier is super exciting. And then, you know, episode two is like the fall of everything, right? And it, the crash and burn. And then episode three is the new yeah. horizon. So that's kind of where we are right now in that new horizon. So allowing folks to see that this journey is a balance between quicksand and concrete. So we don't want people to be in quicksand where they have no clue what we're trying to be and they just get swamped. And we don't want concrete where it's stuck. And this is the way we do things here on out and forever. We kind of want that that fine balance in between so people can still ideate and have a sense of structure underneath them and then enough freedom to do the work that they need to do. So that onboarding happens through that storytelling, a lot of storytelling. And then we use uh, kind of Steve Farber's book. It's the Radical Leap, L-E-A-P-L stands for love, love what you do in service of those who love what you do. E, find your energy. A, be audacious, that pit of your stomach, go out and do that thing. And P, proof, you have to have proof uh, if you want to do something different. You need to be able to come back and share you know, kind of why you're doing that. So giving them a little bit of structure around that. And then a big piece for us has helped with the structures around our competencies. So our competency-based learning, specifically, we started in math and writing. And those really has, has helped to solidify our conversations and structurally TK8. So with having those, those fundamental kind of structures has helped kind of people feel a sense of security, but we still have work to do. Yeah. So having that competency-based learning, are you then taking the standards and saying, these are the ones that we see as the critical ones and we're going to push these others off to the side? Are there certain standards that you just never get to? And so you are just okay with that? That's going back again to that, how do we cram it all in question? (laughs) Right. 
And uh, that's that, that gift of letting go. So yes, we take a look at the standards and then yeah. we take a, how do we cluster uh, some of those together so that they're high leverage. Um, and then uh, parents want that as well. Cause if you look at common core standards, fabulous as they are, um, you got, you know, 220 tick boxes that you could check off and you could never get there um, in one particular content area. So what is it that we feel is critical that leverages learning? Um, it's all around an essential question. So the essential question then can guide and you can pivot throughout within that. But yet there's some critical components that we know need to be secure in order for the next step. We call them steps. So technically a grade level for that next grade level to be ready to go. Not everything needs to be covered. You know, there's that beginning space and that kind of emerging space. And, but there's that sense of you have to get to some mastery in certain areas, be it phonemic awareness or writing your writing craft or, you know, being able to um, use dialogue effectively to move a story. So there's some critical components that we're identifying within our competencies that we feel between the articulation vertically that helps us have that common ground and then some latitude still within that. But overall, that overarching essential question really helps guide the process so that you can let go of certain things and be really strong on others. Yeah. And, and those uh, examples that you gave of dialogue and, you know, being able to read that you didn't say exactly, but that's important and being able to write. Those things are things that I saw even in your young grades that students were exceptional at because they have to be to be able to be successful in your school. Because if you can't, if you can't read, you it is going to be so difficult to do anything in the world, but especially at your school. And if you can't write and communicate, those skills are those are like starting out all the way at the beginning. And, and I saw that when I was there. Yeah. When you think about reading too, the diversity of reading, reading an infographic, right? Reading uh, a person's intent, reading a person's body language, reading a programming code, reading, right. You just think about all the things that we're going to have to be able to read and be diverse in. And so the, what, where, where I think the sweet spot is, to be honest, is the culture of reflection that we're building within our students and within our our team is that that constant iteration and looking at what you're doing, reflecting on it, trying it again, you know, that ultimately, yes, you have to launch and you have to submit a product. And how do you get that cultural reflection around my own personal learning and what it is that I can grow and do? And so students are constantly reflecting with each other, uh, giving critical critique, um, practicing, getting up in front of each other, uh, being vulnerable. All those things are critical to learning. Yeah. And, you know, Megan showed us a little, uh, or sorry, shared a story about these little first graders who were <laughs> collaborating and giving feedback to each other and saying things that you would not expect first graders to be able to say. And she basically said that she, she just walked up in onto the situation and saw these kids doing that high level communication that is challenging even for adults to do. And here they are doing it in first grade. I mean, you've got to set up the environment for that to even be possible. And that, um, that takes a considerable amount of effort and planning and focus and being ready for those moments when they happen. And, you know, if you're worried about getting to the next page in the textbook, there's just no way that you're going to be able to have those experiences happen because the kids, they're not going to have the time that it takes for them to do that. And from an outside perspective, Joe, it seems like it takes 
a lot of time to get there because in my school, it takes forever. And I didn't feel like it took that long with your kids. Why do you think that is that it doesn't take quite as long for them? Yeah, I think there's some critical um, components to that. Uh, if your listeners would like to see that actual video, it's on my Twitter Twitter handle, at Arpelding. Uh, you can see that little video. It's a two-minute vignette. And it just shows the how fantastic these little first graders are able to articulate, turn-taking, um, collaborating, and giving really authentic value-added feedback around writing. Um, it just, it's amazing. Yeah. So the intentionality is where it comes from Two kind of like there's structure and intentionality that goes with it. So the structure is we have this kind of core belief around looping. Looping can happen in a multi-age setting where half your kids kind of loop up and then half go to the next grade. Or it can be, I'm going to take my kindergartners to first graders. So when you're speaking of Megan there, she is is one of the loop, her looping structure is where she takes her kindergartners and loops up to first and kind of does that cycle. Well, because you have that 360 days with the kids, you can really be intentional with what can I let go and what do I need to get deep on? And so if you look at it just from that video, that vignette of two minutes, you go like, how in the heck did she do that in the first two weeks of school? Well, the reality is she didn't. She spent the whole other year figuring out how to make that happen. And then she figured out like within the first month, what needs to happen? Well, we don't put kids just because we have them at a tabletop with four, four at a group, but now they're collaborating. No, they're not collaborating just because they're sitting next to each other. You just change the environment. How do you get kids to authentically collaborate? Well, you got to understand what does collaboration mean? Well, the first layer of collaboration is identity and is awareness and your awareness of yourself. And what do I know about myself and, and what am I struggling with? Right. So getting kids to understand that and then you put them into partnerships. Right. So oftentimes they go collaborate and you put them in groups of four or eight or, or even three. But at that youngest level, the intentionality around that is they have to collaborate on a project together and have to get that turn taking. And so the intentionality around the, the instructional process is really critical. And I think oftentimes we go over the surface of these skills like collaboration and communication. And we say, go communicate. And we actually, what is it? What does it mean to be a highly effective communicator, highly effective collaborator? So those skill sets are, have a lot of intentionality to it. So can you talk a little bit about what it does mean to be a highly effective communicator? Yeah, it was interesting. I, I was attending a board meeting, one of the community board meetings. There's two students that were standing up and they're presenting. <laughs> one of them happened to be ours and another student from a different school. And and just the um, the presence that our students have, like in these typically stressful environments where you're talking to peers who are older than you and the presentation of yourself, the student from the typical school was trying to memorize everything and the other student was using it more as a reference and had this real natural flow to it. So there's just an authentic sense around their ability to be confident, uh, to stand on their own two feet, because they're constantly in these spaces to try it on. Um, they're not having to do it, you know, once a month or maybe once a year or at the end of the year, they're going to do a presentation. It's constantly, they're constantly evaluating themselves and getting feedback. And so I guess the conditions are on what you see uh, as a performance task. That was technically, in my opinion, a performance task uh, where you see that evolution of the, the students being able to be highly articulate, have that decorum sense of who they are. And so I think we could dig a little bit more into that, but that's kind of what comes to mind right now. How interesting that you didn't say anything about it was all about their their presence and their ability to be comfortable in the moment. That's 
that's what I heard. And it wasn't about meeting some standard of, you know, being able to provide a rebuttal to somebody else or things that I would typically hear in, you know, a common core approach to, you know, speaking, listening. Right. And so you talked more about presence. Why is that presence and comfort a highlight of effective communication? I think at its core, it comes down to your social, emotional well-being, your sense of self, what I believe about myself, what I think I can do, right? And not what I can't do. And putting yourself in that I might not be there yet. And that growth mindset and all those pieces that we know. And do they get the opportunity to try them on? And so that really strong sense of self is probably one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids as they're going into this a space that we don't know yet what it's going to become. And I do believe that these kids who have a real strong sense of their social emotional well-being will be the ones that will be creating the future because they'll have that thought leadership within them um, because they'll be confident and they can stand on their own two feet and they can be empathetic and they can listen to others and they're okay if someone disagrees with them and they can, they can navigate that space and ideate and put their idea on the table and not be emotionally uh, connected to it. They can disconnect from it and add to it and have someone else add to it because they're secure in themselves. Yeah. That is just so important to be secure in yourself. And yeah, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts about that, that I don't know how to articulate yet. So <laughs> I'm going to, yeah. I may ask you in a couple of weeks more thoughts about that. So the next thing that I want to talk about that I think is just as challenging as getting teachers to change their mindset is getting parents to change their mindset. And as you said, you are a public, public school and like you don't get to choose who comes to your school or not, though parents may have some choice in whether or not they come to your school. How do you help parents understand that this is different and, and what school is going to look like for them? Yeah. When we say we're a learner centered lab school, that means it's not just about kids. It's about learning. And all of us are learners. And so we can't disconnect our parents from that learning opportunity. So creating multiple forums and parent opportunities for them to be learners themselves and connecting. And we watch videos together. So just the other day, we watched Most Likely to Succeed, the High Tech High video. Um, We've watched many, many different keynote speakers. We have our own um, community, we call it Future Now, a conference where parents are invited to be learners. Um, So this constant space where they can be learners and themselves. One of the things I most recently started doing uh, was we tour all the time. I probably have over 80 tours a year from people all over the country and, you know, across the world, China and Australia, Canada coming over. Yet I kind of reflected back like, how many tours are we giving to our own current parents? And, you know, that number was, I could count on my one hand. And so now what we're doing is reinvesting in our current parents because they might have taken the original tour of our campus when they selected our, our site and they got a perspective of that grade span, that K-1 span, or that 2, 3, or 4, 5, or 6, 8 span. And they've been here for a couple of years. And yet I think we haven't reinvested in them in a sense of what's happening now, two years, three years, four years later for them. And so now we're just reinvesting in our family. So we're taking uh, tours. I have one this Friday. We do kind of that historical perspective empathize with them, what they're still curious about. 
kind of arming them up a little bit because they're out in that community being our greatest champion and giving them words and ideas around what we actually are doing, being able to see it like you did yourself, to see it in action again. And a critical component is that they can see the TK8 experience because we go to every single room. And the beauty of it, it's not a dog and pony show. We go see what we see and then we talk about what we see. And then we come back out and it's really a wonderful gift. So reinvesting in our parents regularly. And I think a critical component is opening ourselves back up to our own parents. Yeah, that is a, that is a really interesting idea. And so when your parents come, what are the challenges that they typically face that, you know, come to you and they're like, you know, I just don't know about this. You know, my kid hasn't opened a textbook all year long and they're just, talking about things and sharing ideas and what are the challenges that parents bring to you as the principal about the learning process at the school? Yeah, that's it. So let me just talk a little bit about a pain point uh, when I first came here three years ago. So this is after the first year. So I came in year one after the first year just completed. And I probably have three, literally I have three notebooks filled with just uh, conversations with parents I think that particular year, we had 100 kids leave, significant, out of whatever, at that time it was 900. We have 1,200 kids now. And so just having a communication with all of them, that particular group, there's a couple things that were happening. One, a variety of parents were coming here because it was a brand new shiny school, right? Two, they won the lottery. Hey, we're going to come here. And three, there was a problem with us. And that problem that we're just now making our way through is around communication. Imagine that, Right. Uh, communication around what is a kid learning. So the parents are like, is my kid learning? Are they going to be okay? I mean, basically when you have that healthy kid checkup, if you have kids and you take them to the doctor and they give you that, hey, between six and eight years old, your kid should weigh this much and they should be doing this thing and should be eating this. And if your kid's kind of within that range and they show you the growth chart and they show you the, the weight chart and you go like, ah, okay, my kid's within that range. Mostly that's what parents want. But we didn't even have that kind of structure. Our communication tool sets were so diverse uh, parents didn't know where to get the information because we were sending out so many different ways, this communication. So I think that was our one of our greatest pain points. And so just tailoring it down to say, okay, what is it that we need parents to know? That they really feel fulfilled by our communication. That's one of our words. They don't need more communication. They just need really thoughtful communication around teaching and learning and what's coming up. What are some talking points I can share with my student at the table? table? Instead of asking, what did you learn today? What can you teach me? So different like uh, aspects where we're kind of helping the parents pivot with us because it can be disorienting for them and we don't want them to decouple like off the train track. So uh, being really patient with that process with them as well. It was pretty painful, to be honest, um, as we were evolving. Really, it was around how do we effectively communicate the learning progress of their child? Yeah. And so in a competency-based framework, how do you how do you now communicate that that learning and, you know, talk also about report cards and progress reports and things like that. And what does that all look like? Yeah. So we had to really start to dial in on what are our assessments that we all agree upon? How do we report? Right. And what is the learning that's going to go with that? So when we talk about the assessments. That was the first piece. Like, what are we going to assess? Then we can have something that we can actually report on. Um, then we also said that we we, we are going to, no matter if a parent looks or not, we're going to give them a, a, a mailed home progress report twice a year, January and June. So uh, minimally, they know that where my kid is. They don't have to look anywhere. They know it's coming to them in the mail. And there they can open it up and see where their kid is. So that's one of the things we committed to last year. So that's a new iteration. 
The other piece is we were struggling through and fumbling through all the different technology products that we could use. We kind of landed in on two, and maybe this is maybe a little segue to something else. Um, We're partnering now with Alt Schools. Alt School was a micro school product that came out of the Silicon Valley's there. They have a learning platform that we are using in fourth and fifth grade. We're one of their partner schools. So we have uh, this Alt School platform. Uh, What was being used currently on the primary grades is um, a Seesaw product, which I don't want to go and be a sales agent for any of these products. But what it is is a portfolio-based way for uh, students to be able to showcase their learning. So once we had our competencies, then students could take, basically, we have a paper product that the students can screenshot and then post it up, and they can showcase their their progress on those different domains within our competencies. And then they can showcase their goal setting, where they're going next with their competency. And that's been pretty good, effective, because then they can see where I need to go next, what's my next step, as I referenced earlier. Not I'm done, it's what's next for me. And when you look at a typical standards-based thing, it's more looks like a checkbox. This is more like a scope and sequence. Where am I going as a student? The student has really strong agency around that. And so that's really been effective and helpful for the parents. So when students have agency over where they're going, that means that different students are going to learn different things and not everybody is going to have this the same education. And that's something that I, as I'm researching these different ways of teaching and learning, I'm finding that that is more necessary to individualize it down to that student and not be so bent out of shape that, you know, I I mean, you're, you're meeting all the basic requirements, but your floor of what everybody has to know and be able to do is different than at a traditional regular school. And, and so you have some different insight into that. Can you talk a little bit about that idea of students learning different things and how you manage that at your school? Yeah, maybe just to clarify. So that's why we have our competencies. So we do have critical components that students have to know and be able to do, right? So we we believe that these leverage standards, call them, are critical for them to be able to access the next level of content, sophistication, writing, uh, communication. So there's certain components that are kind of non-negotiable, to be honest. Right. But within that, how do you experience it? How do you take it on? How do you showcase it? That's the diversity that we're allowing um, at this point in our journey Um, that might evolve, uh, obviously. Yet I think these critical components at least allows a trajectory of a kid to say what's next for me. And then we we allow students to to take it on in a new and, and novel way. And so through the technology or through design thinking or through global connections or whatnot, any of our guiding principles. Another way that that happens is giving kids access, I think, is maybe the bigger component that we're, we're, we're talking about. When you think about learning and personalization is kind of a weird buzzword and has some negativity to it, potentially. What we do know is that learning is very personal. And when you look at personal learning, right, that decentralizing of learning, but making learning very personal to me, it takes on a kind of a different tact. So if something is really personal to me, I'm going to really deeply engage into it, Right. And then I'm going to go find and facilitate and be a champion for that learning. So in our sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, something new this year that we're doing is around mathematics. So students get high quality access to the typical mathematics. They're just, you know, they go in, they take the sixth grade math. It will just make it simple. A student who might have a really personal connection to mathematics has another opportunity within the instructional day. Instead of taking a deep dive in ceramics, they can take another deep dive in mathematics 
and continue to extend their math experience because the access is there. Now, and that's the really the trick of how, how do you create a s- structure and a schedule so that that can be a- accessible to kids? And that creates, so in order to do that, you have to have high quality collaboration happening. And so in order to create that, every morning, 7.45 to 8.45, our entire campus is in collaboration time, working together. So if you're in your room by yourself, you're not collaborating. So you need to be in a partner, or a triad, a team, a vertical. And because of that, we can create these really dynamic experiences for students that are super personal to them. Okay. So you just opened up a whole nother can of worms there with that last comment about daily morning collaboration. So (laughs) (laughs) it's the reason I'd send my kid here, to be honest. I mean, my kid's in high school, but you know, if I had a kid, I would send them here because every day we're talking about teaching and learning nuts. Yes, we have to get through nuts and bolts, but yeah, it's on a structured day. But yeah, let's talk about that, that gift that we've created because you started this conversation around time. And I, you know, to me, it's really quite funny. No matter, you could be the richest person, but your time is still the same. You have 24 hours, right? So it's, I don't have enough time. Yes, we do. We all have enough time. It's just, what do we choose to use that time on? What have we typically been using that time on? What, you know, what structures have we, we done to ourselves, right? So our structure is pretty simple. The kids come and the kids leave and they have to have lunch. So what we create within that time we have with them is all up to us, right? So, you know, if we, we overstructure things, and I think that's part of our problem as humans, is we want to structure up everything and then we put them into 54-minute bits of learning and we separate them out into these disconnected units of learning called science and math and reading. And, you know, so yeah, you can hear in my voice, I'm pretty passionate about it. I don't even know if that's what you want to talk about, but I did. <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's exactly it. I mean, you, you're saying every day for an hour, it's required for teachers to, to be collaborating with someone else. What does that look like? What does that mean? I mean, that is a, that is a huge commitment when, you know, and for, for my school, you know, teachers are required to have a preparatory period during the school day. And I'm not allowed to do anything with that time. And, and you're saying something that is almost the opposite that outside of the school day, before kids get there, we are going to collaborate for an hour and everybody's going to do that. And, and that, how's that structured? You know, I've got about a million questions just off of that piece right there. Yeah, because it is probably the greatest pivotal shift that we could actually do is get people together talking about teaching and learning every day. Yeah, yeah. And we do that within the instructional day. They still have the same student contact time and non-student contact time as their peers right across the street at the other 38 other schools, right? So how did we structure that? And that was a massive collaborative experience, pain, crying, you name it. We had to go through it with the district um, superintendent came in. So just to make that thing happen was just tremendously awesome experience. And the gift that's coming out of that is what makes T39 heartbeat, right? Is that collaborative experience. So if you look, I'm just looking right out the window and I'm in our welcome center. So I don't have a principal's office. So I'm in a little design studio and out there are our folks meeting. There's a, a music teacher meeting with our librarian. We don't call her librarian, but basically our librarian and with an assistant principal and with our PE teacher and who else is in that group? Oh, and one of our admin, office admin. So here they are. They're, they're, I don't know what they're working on, but I know they're working on something collectively that they need to. 
Now you come in tomorrow, I'll be a t- different group. And you go in. So we all have these design studios. So there's a K1 design studio, two, three, four, five, six, eight. So there's a space that's specifically like tailored to this whole design process of thinking around being a designer and how do I create awesome teaching and learning experiences. And so to make that happen, um, we had to do some other things structurally, like we need to get more volunteers because we're not having them out there doing duty and they're not doing a duty schedule like all their other peers have to do because we value it that much. And we're not putting parent meetings in that. We're not putting IEP meetings in that space. We're not hijacking technically that time because we value it that much. You have to make a lot of other, there's other concessions, other unintended consequences that you have to work through. But we feel that it's so critical to the life of this campus that we're willing to make those concessions and adjustments. And so that was um, massive, important work to why this place is still alive. Yeah. And when I walked through your building last week, I saw the collaboration happening even during the day. So it wasn't like, okay, we did, we did this thing and now we're done. (laughs) It was, we did this thing. And now during the day, we're still collaborating. You know, I saw multiple classrooms where there were two teachers in there, with like 60 kids and in this huge room and they were all working together and it was, it was just so exciting. So I so appreciate your time. And I do want to finish up here. The last question that I ask everybody is what is one thing a listener can do this week to be a transformative principal like you, Joe? I call it, what's your 10%, right? You think about my 10% or your 10% or someone else's 10%. That could be someone else's a thousand, or it could be their one. So we can't judge a person's um, next step based off of what my 10% is. So when I think about what's your 10%, what I'm really trying to say is what's, what am I willing to stretch myself to do tomorrow? And so what I would ask is, what do I want to see this time next year in whatever aspect of your work? If it's relationship building or if it's curriculum or content or school tours or parent connections or student agency, whatever it might be, what's your 10% commit to it and then hold yourself accountable to that, to reflect on it throughout your time and then come back to it and say, did I achieve that? So this time next year, what do I want to see? That is fantastic. You mentioned earlier that people can follow you at Pelding on Twitter at E-R-P-E-L-D-I-N-G. Any other way that you would like people to connect with you? Yeah, that's perfect. They can direct message there. They can go onto our website. Uh, that's uh, www.design39campus.com. So design39campus.com all together. And uh, you'll see a list there about us. Uh, you can connect with my admin directly, uh, Mary Heald. Uh, there's pictures of all of us on there. You just click on the picture and that'll take you to an email. Uh, you could email me directly. Um, we can take a tour. Uh, like you had that opportunity. Uh, we can come out and tour you. We'd love to learn as well. Uh, just last bit because we're constantly learning. We're doing a new thing called project beep beep. So if you have a school, you want us to come out and visit, we're getting in our van and we're touring around, um, different sites. So project beep beep coming your way, maybe. Awesome. Well, it would be a long drive up to Fairbanks, Alaska, (laughs) but we would love to have you. And I will send a personal invitation when our K-12 magnet gets going. And um, hopefully you can come check it out because whatever it looks like, I know it's going to be amazing because I've had the experience of learning from you and many other great educators. So 
Joe, thank you so much again for being part of Transformative Principle. This has been awesome. Thank you for the opportunity and all the best to your listeners. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And if you are interested in the work we're doing for our K-12 magnet research right now, uh, go to k12northstar.org slash k12 magnet and get on that mailing list. And I'd love to have as many different thoughts and advice and resources as I can. So if you're interested in that development, go ahead and join there. You'll be able to see the process as we go along. So thank you so much for listening and for the show notes, go to transformativeprinciple.org and we will see you there. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.